Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. Yes, and I got a little head cold today, but today we're going to talk about uh, educating the world about sustainability, or as Crosby Sills Nash said, teach your parents well. Right. I thought it was children. I know it is, but there's a <laughs> there is a line in there, teach your parents well, and, and that seems more appropriate when we're talking about sustainability. I think your fever is talking. All right, good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I guess uh, my first item here that I wrote down is describe the issue. So so I, I do want to preface this by saying normally for these for these programs, I try and do a, a bit of research so there are some facts about what I'm talking about. <laughs> In this case, I just threw that out the window because this is going to be pure opinion and ranting and things of that nature because I've been involved a lot in education and specifically really all your life. Well, yeah, but specifically education around solar and and I have lots of um, opinions. They're not pet peeves. They're opinions. kind of wild and opinions. running loose. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Opinions. I just want to say that it was kind of funny when we decided on the topic, we were all excited because we had a big, long discussion that morning about it, as we often do talk about education versus learning. And then you came down yesterday and you said, I can't find any facts. What are <laughs> we, we can't talk on this topic. I'm like, well, we have opinions about everything. Of course we can talk right. about this topic. Yeah, you would think this would be something that's well-researched and well uh, and it probably is in somebody's PhD thesis that they filed away somewhere and uh, nobody's looked at since. Well, that's setting the tone for sure right I there. know, I know, <laughs> yep. So anyway, so so to my way of thinking, there are two distinct areas. When we talk about sustainability, and of course, even the idea of what is sustainability, we can parse that a little bit. But there's talking about it in the general public, you know, in the in the 30-second advertising kind of things that we see or just general perceptions within the public. And then there's talking about it in our school system as part of the curriculum. So, so I just want to kind of approach that in two different, at least acknowledge they both exist, and then kind of ignore the general public one because I don't know. Well, that's full of greenwashing and irrational thinking. I want to say, though, a few years ago, we were invited to Ohio University for brainstorming about curriculum around sustainability, and we were packed into this little room, and we knew a few of the people there. The sustainability resiliency world's pretty small in Ohio. Unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's all right. We're, we're hanging in there. And... Um, and so there was people going there were people going around the room and talking about you know how sustainability would work uh, as a course and when it got to you and me we said wait a minute this isn't a course this is something it's a template you lay down on every topic because it applies to every topic and I thought we were going to be kicked out <laughs> of the meeting because we wouldn't come off of that point we kept saying well how does that apply to engineering how does that apply to home economics you know and and they're like we finally got up and left it got so uncomfortable because we just wouldn't stop but it, yeah. it was illogical well i've gotten kicked out of better meetings no than you that. haven't but i have <laughs> you do <laughs> i usually have to tag along i've got the car keys so all right she's been she's been boosted from this meeting oh. I got, I got to drive <laughs> but i'm nice home. i get kicked out even though i'm nice it's <laughs> right. terrible okay so so that gets to one of the problems okay is 
is sustainability a thing? Is it a, a subject or is it something that has to be integrated into everything? And, and of course, our personal bias is it, it should be something laid over every single subject that's taught. Um, almost, I don't know, a good analogy would probably fall flat on its face. But as you say, if you're teaching engineering, it should be part of the various factors that you're putting into your engineering. If you're teaching um, architecture, of course, it's part of that. If you're teaching writing, you know. Cooking. Uh, cooking okay, but yeah. let me explain then, because it is something that needs to be involved in everything when we look at climate change and climate adaptation. And really what it all comes down to is a very simplistic thinking, um, and that is that if I'm going to do one thing here, it's obviously going to impact everything around it, whether it's cooking or building a bridge or selling real estate, it's going to still impact a whole lot of things. The suppliers, the, the um, employees, the owners, the land. And so if I'm going to do something sustainably, I then have to say, well, there's two sides to this. And the one side is the actual doing and the other side is the impact. And my goal should be is what they call net zero, which is basically whatever I do on this side needs to balance out the other side. And we're not there because we don't consider that everything we do impacts the soil, the air, humans, critters, insects, everything. And so that's why it fits in every single topic. Sure. As and an there's no getting away from it. Well, as an example, when I went through the MBA program and you have all these macroeconomics and microeconomics and statistics and cost accounting and all of and those kind of things and more statistics <laughs> and, and they try and behave like it's a science when, when it's more of an art. And uh, anyway, nowhere did they talk about... Um, Factoring in externalized costs. Well, the true cost. What are the impacts yeah. to society? What about the happiness factor or the misery factor, as they like to say? You know, when you talk about worker retention, isn't that, you know, more than just say, we pay them $15 an hour versus fourteen fifty, and we'll be able to retain them. It's like, well, no, maybe if you provide them with a healthy, happy holistic um, environment. working environment, uh -huh. you know, so, so it becomes part of the model for business. It becomes part of the model for engineering. It becomes part of the model for education. For running your home. You know, do you use, use an example within education. Um, you know, the, the college system now has, has migrated to where they use graduate students and adjunct instructors for doing the lion's share of the education. Yeah, that's true. So you basically mm -hmm. have very limited training for these people who are then responsible for the higher education of our of the next generation of students. So so you've got, you know, folks like I'll use the adjunct situation. They're usually either people who have the technical expertise in whatever they're they're talking about or they have some ability to educate, but usually typically not both. So you get some pretty limited instruction quality. Well, you, plus they don't seem like they want to be there a lot of the time. Well, yeah, you, the pay them, you pay them very little, you know, um, extremely little con considering what you're trying to get out of them. And, and so they rotate through very quickly. And 
And then they are also responsible for developing the curriculum, selecting the textbooks, pretty much the colleges, at least in my experience, say, oh, you're going to teach this class, you know, good luck, don't cause us any problems. And, and that's kind of as much as you get. And well, you only get paid on contact hours, so the yeah. research of finding the right textbook and all that. So, okay, so we've established uh, that we're into our rant and education. we're not providing any facts to back this up. Well, we so don't need good. any facts. We have experience. <laughs> but anyway, so we're saying that they're doing a pretty terrible job at, at being sustainable in their practices. They're doing a terrible job with their employees, the, the leadership, which that's almost a given in a lot of industry. Um, and they're doing a terrible job. There are schools doing a good job, but well, overall specific, the culture. And specific instructors who do great. Yeah. But it's so culture. dependent. It's well, dependent on the individual person being exceptional. But that's and, true. And that's in no all way to run a well, that's no way to run a turnip truck though. No, know? well, but we don't run turnip trucks anymore. <laughs> so that's the problem. But but the reality is we are doing a bad job at investing in our next generation. And so we can see that across the board. And there are some places that are doing a better job than others. But we have identified in our own work for the last 18 years at Blue Rock Station, the immense um, good and, well, I'll just say good, that comes out of investing in young people in a totally different way than the didactic method, which seems anti like antiquity to me, of standing up in the front of the classroom and, and drawing on the board and saying, I need you to memorize this. You know, we have kids who come here who have to study from the fourth to the eighth grade about sustainability. They get off the bus and they don't know what it means. They've regurgitated it on a test, but they don't really know. But by the time they leave here, after an hour and a half or two hours, those terms about sustainability are just rolling right off their tongue. It's not because we wrote it on a board. It's because they were doing Well, and something. I think to, to sort of get into the perception of education, education, we're still mired in the, in the 19th century of saying education is the ability to absorb facts and recall them, you know, without the aid of any outside device, you know. So, so we look at someone who is, we say that person is smart because they can spit out, you know, all 50 states, and, you know, capitals and things like that. Whereas really with the world of today with technology where you've got a smartphone and you want to know who's saying, you know, a song in 1952, you just sort of plug it in and, and it comes back up. And I see this in the training in solar where a lot of the training has been focused on which article in the National Electrical Code says this. And you're like, I don't care. I got a phone. I'll look it up. And so now we need to move education away from this absorb effect, regurgitate it back out to how can I critically think through processes and problem solving and the low, dare I say it, the scientific method of, of well, analyzing we need to know why we, we need to know why we do what we do in some cases. And, but and there's a lot more need of hands-on physically well, yeah. doing it, watching the thing fall down and go, oh, you know what? That probably was stupid. And now I need to figure out how to fix it. But so we've already established 
we're reversing roles here. Uh, we've already established that that the way we're doing things is to say, okay, we're going to have this person stand up there, or not even that. We're going to be online and look at a TV screen, and but our phone knows more than that person. It knows more than me. Well, <laughs> for sure. But it, but we, that's what we're saying. And so, if we live in a world where the phone knows more, why are we continuing to? with this form of education, especially when we look at the growth of technology with robotics and things like that. These are not simple little things you learn by sitting in front of somebody. You have to do with it. And the other thing that I think about is that we have a real challenge in that people don't have the life skills they need. COVID has so demonstrated that to us the last two years that uh, we, we need to be teaching our kids, every single kid, not because you're a boy or a girl, but every kid needs to know about food and health food, healthy food and how to prepare meals and how to budget. They need to know how to do simple carpentry and to have the confidence to do that. We, after um, uh, Trump got elected, we had quite a few interns uh, who'd been here over the years and they, they wanted to come home. They were really upset. And we had a weekend where they came um, and we looked at a film, uh, Howard Zinn film about the true story of America. And that was uh, quite eye-opening to a lot of them. And they sat around feeling worse. And so we said, what do you, <laughs> what do you want? What is it you want? We know the truth. So let's move on. And they said they, the number one word that we wrote on the board was hope. And I said, all right, let's work towards that. So, so what they said, it took them a long time to figure it out. But what they said that they thought was wrong, and they were pretty unanimous in this, is they didn't have the skill sets to be resilient. And they're living in a world where this person had come to be president and they could see it was not good. So they wanted to know more about carpentry and bicycle repair and uh, how to do self-care, like simple things if you're getting sick, uh, wound care. They wanted to know about spiritual growth. And so we came up with a free school, but the, and they felt so much better because they were then every month having a class that one of them taught about something they knew that was a skill set that made them feel more resilient. And it's amazing what's going on with some of those people. They went back to school. They went to get a master's. They're doing stuff in the forest. Okay, it's so what great. you're saying is I may not be able to solve global warming and I can't fix the political system, but I can fix the chain on my bicycle. And Absolutely. <laughs> and that's important because I All want right. to ride my bike to work or I want to ride my bike for my health. Okay. Well, let me, let me break right here and let people remind oh God, them we've been talking that you minutes. are <laughs> listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Oh, and thank God. Really, thank <laughs> okay, God. wake up. Your tea isn't that good. <laughs> All right. So, so anyway, so what you're raising is, is this idea of we've become disconnected. And I know we've talked about this before, but the educational system is, you know, we always come back to education is at the root of all of this. If people are well-educated, well-informed, have the ability to think, which, okay, which is something. Okay, there's the problem right there. Yeah, and the I, I mean, I can regurgitate back facts and forget them within 15 minutes after the test. That hasn't taught me the ability of thinking. If I believe any person, this is, I'm going to go out on a limb here, any person who believes the earth is flat, our education system has failed that person. They, they have not gained 
I'll dare say anything out of whatever okay, number of years of sued, education. Let me just come back for a minute. <laughs> I told you it was a rant. I know it's okay. So, so let me just clarify since we have a role reversal here. Uh -huh. The reality is that we are not investing at an early age with our children and, and we don't have a whole, a, a very good track record of having a, a, a really big, percentage of people who are good parents. We have a lot of parents, but good parenting and parenting is two different things. And so this kind of thing of being taught to think starts in the womb. It starts with the food. It starts with the chemicals that that person ingests. It starts with the own, their own DNA, what they inherited from what their parents brought to them in the womb. Um, and, and from that point on, all the all right. stimulus and everything, that's where the thinking process Okay, but that begins. gets back to, I can't fix world hunger, but I can fix my bicycle chain. So what can we fix in education? I'm not going to go back to the womb and, and reconstruct the entire educational system from kindergarten through, through graduate school. So, so what can we look at and begin to make changes? Let's say you're a teacher. You're a teacher in high school or you're a teacher in, in college. You know, what should you be looking at? Um, how can you modify your behavior or how can the system be modified? And, and some of the things I've identified. Um, well, you're well, going to answer your own question. I'm going to answer. I you were right. going to ask It's me like a good question. prosecuting okay, attorney. I Never ask a question. You I want to say that to. I don't, I honestly feel like that system is ir, irreversible. Right. Okay, so okay, hang don't on. Be, don't be gloomy on me. No. I'm being realistic, and I think that's where we have to start. Let's be realistic. The system's broken. It is totally screwed up, and any teacher that teaches is going to tell you that, and all the really best teachers somehow find some way or they leave, and so I'm just going to say that as my base statement, but then the other piece of that is what are we doing individually because we don't have the ability to change the systems that exist with our children. But we do have the ability ourselves to do something. For example, we have utilized our business in a way, set up our business in a way that has a component that addresses this very issue. And who would think that, you know, living in a house of trash and having a few goats and whatever has that capability. But we have, we teach some classes. We also open up our home during the warm months. So we take in students who can live here and work here and we design a curriculum just for them we don't call it that we don't want to use those words too too crazy formal if we started doing that they'd all be wigged out and we get we get students from all over the world we get students that are studying um engineering a lot of engineering students but the point is we're investing in them all right, and so everybody extend, has that ability. Let's extend that out to other businesses because I've been hearing this a lot. In fact, I'm participating in a national group about curriculum and how do we train the next uh, level of folks because the world is crying out for, for electricians and plumbers and welders and there just aren't enough of these technicians available for the jobs that are available to them. And, and there's some argument in there. Well, um, there are companies that say, listen, if I invest in the education of these employees, then they just leave and get a better job. Yeah, but and, they're not really investing. Right, well, let me finish my thought. So, so, you know, that's the classic, what if I pay for their training and they leave and we always come back, what if you don't train them and they stay? And, and that's kind of a glib response. 
But what, what we're getting at here is it should be part of the corporate mission to educate their employees, whether they stay or not. You know, you have a corporate mission to try and make a profit. Don't you also have a corporate mission to try and make the world a better place, make people more educated for having been in contact with you, however long they are. That includes and, your customers as well. Yeah, so you look at education not as a cost element that you need to recoup that cost, but as part of your mission, you know, uh, because the schools, yeah, they have a mission to educate and train. We can argue they're doing it poorly or some are doing it well, but businesses should have that corporate mission of educating and training. People, individuals should have that mission, that personal mission of Anyone who comes in contact with me leaves better informed than when they, when they didn't know me. Well, part of the challenge is that the mission for most business is to make money. Right. And there's a misunderstanding about how that works because commun investing in communities and in, uh, in education for employees and customers pays off and it pays well because it creates loyalty from the customer and the employee. It creates a, um, a sense of wellness around whatever the products are or the services. It's just such a win, win, win. Uh, at the end of the day, it makes no sense why corporate America cannot see beyond that. And yes, there are some companies doing good in that way. And it used to be the way things a lot of times were, where, where people, companies came into communities and built parks and, and invested in their employees and paid for education. Um, and, and then we just got to some point in our culture where we said, nope, money is God. And it's always been God, but this is like the one true God now. <laughs> and, um, and if we aren't working on that, we are not American. We are not a good Christian. We are not good at anything because we're socialists and whatever. Right. And it really is not the truth because when you look at it from economic standpoint, it is one way that you can ensure your business is going to have a good chance to do well. Is okay. Making those well, you're getting, you're getting far away from my concept of having better PowerPoints in the classroom as solving this problem. But I, and the <laughs> so. reason is because we can't change that system. It's right. broken. We can't pick up the pieces even. We just have to say it's got to run its course until it completely falls apart. And in that time period, we've got to build another system. And that system's got to look like some of what we're just saying, but it's also got to include things like teaching our kids how to be carpenters and and I don't mean like to do it for a living but they might love it enough to go be a carpenter or how to do some electrical things and replace the lamp cord and all that and then they might decide I want to be an electrician and then to have jobs that are apprentice jobs to learn how to be an electrician and it's like one of our former interns has uh, is getting his um, electrician license and he works for a big company they they love him they put it he's a leader a team leader now they are paying for him to go to school it's he's going to be four years going to school but also working full-time and he's and like he says it's a job and it and he it's not an enjoy he's not enjoying it but he realizes it's leading him to his next goal with this piece of education and by having the opportunity to work for a good company that invests in him, he's going to come out of there and start his own business around solar. 
And he stayed with that decision, you know, it's several years now. So I think that he's a good example of an investment. And he started with us right. where he had nothing and we gave him a scholarship. Okay, but you're saying, you know, a lot of people will say, the people who are really self-motivated will say, my education began once I left school. You know, now I, I've learned the, the skills, the real skills, and, and maybe maybe our schools should acknowledge that, that their role is how do we how do we teach people how to how to think and and then the businesses have that that mindset of saying then now how do we teach people to be be well-rounded people and and be part of our workplace community i don't think there's support for teaching people how to think look at what the news talks no there's about. a lot of there's a lot of uh, support not to because yes. because as we're saying that corporations are saying okay our goal is to maximize profits for our shareholders well nonsense you know that's that's an easy thing to say and a thing that gets the ceos rich but it doesn't make society better and eventually it collapses under its own weight of of self-serving greed well, our schools have gone to our goal is to, um, you know, make money. I mean, there's a lot of money now, money motivation in our schools. And of course, if you're losing money and there's no government support, that becomes an issue. But it just reminded me a little bit of Wait, going thanks. to the, well, let me finish my thought. So of, of, of going to this thing of uh, where they were, I was complaining about the school lunches when Catlin was in high school. And the response from the school board was, we have a great lunch program. It actually turns a profit. I was like, "What?" Well, yeah, the government. But it it was it was crap. I mean, the food is non edible. I don't care if you're making money at it. That's not the purpose of lunch. Right. So I just want to say that I don't think I still maintain it's not fixable because they could have lots of money. They manage, even in these small schools, um, uh, in Steubenville. They have built a stadium. They have, yeah. have so, so like now it's 200 priorities. students and they have a 10,000 seat stadium, something like that. And it's paid for and it's got corporate names on it. And so if we were saying this is important and we went out into the community and, and demanded, as they do with sports, they call <laughs> us every year and want money and we don't give it. I know say, it's always funny. Is this for academic programs or sports programs? And they're like, it's for sports. It goes, nope, we don't support it. <laughs> no, I said, when you, when you do academics, call me back because I don't want to be mean. All right. Well, I know, I know you're going to rant on this thing, but I want to sort of bring us back because we've only got a minute. <laughs> I want to actually get to something on my list of what oh, I wanted to talk okay. about, which was trying to deal with the new reality of education. And these new realities are embracing the technology. One I've already mentioned about everybody's got a phone that has all the facts you need or what pass for facts in today's world. Yeah, but we don't have broadband. Oh, well, but a lot of people do. So I don't need to memorize, you know, facts. I can look them up. Um, I, but, but in the classroom now, in most classrooms, there are other tools that are out there that are simply not being uh, utilized to the extent that they could be. The online versus remote, we've seen some of the um, problems in, in that situation with the COVID where the remote training has been done so badly that people now just in their mind say it, it's, it's garbage, it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because it's not being done well. Um, virtual reality will soon be a thing. 
Uh, how do we integrate that into classrooms in an effective way? You know, the integration of video and audio and all of these kind of things that could be brought in real time. And, and then, you know, again, getting back to the hands-on, you know, it always comes back to if you want to learn how to make a cake, actually make a cake. You know, if you want to learn how many teeth are in a horse's mouth, look in the horse's mouth. All right. I just want to say the, the real key here is there's no support for that. All right. Well, we'll get we'll address that later. All right. <laughs> OK, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke ranting at you. We want to thank our always innovative Emmy Award winning producer, Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you. The secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others and love education. All right, till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com. Yeah.